and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down with Mr. Eric Kriske. Eric is the co-founder at Bedali. Bedali is working to create a safer, more inclusive global financial system through the belief that cryptocurrency is the way of the future. Eric's a born and bred Calgarian. He's been part of the technology startup community here for over 10 years. He takes us on a journey to really understand why he's so bullish on cryptocurrency and why he thinks it is a backbone for not only what's happening in Western Canada, even maybe in a more of a limited front, but how the role it will play globally. He walks through and really gets into the details of what he thinks is Calgary's got going for us in terms of all of the different support networks from Calgary Economic Development Platform, Startup Calgary to, to the amazing work that uh, as being a company that was involved in Creative Destruction Labs. He takes us through that, as well as a bit of philosophy on his macro views of economics and where he sees us heading, not only as a city, but as a province and a country. Join me for an informative, inspirational, and philosophical conversation with Eric Kriske. Good morning. I'm sitting here with my guest today, Mr. Eric Kriske. How are you doing, Eric? Good. How are you, Tyler? I am great. It's uh, it's it's nice. I was talking to someone the other day, and it was in this lockdown situation and kind of not knowing what's ahead. There's something that's a little more positive, knowing we're going into nice weather versus like heading into fall oh. would be a very different roller coaster, I think, emotionally. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Sunday was a was a big pickup. Like yes, everybody's energy fall. rises, and you just like there's a sense of optimism just because there's blue skies out my window right now. <laughs> yeah, I think I got a little bit of a little bit of a sunburn on Sunday. So excellent. That's that. a kind of a badge. How? Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to get early, early, early in the season. I don't know. I was out and I went for a bike ride and uh, with my wife, and uh, so it was social distancing light out there on the pass system. I got to be honest that uh, everybody was maybe not following all their parameters. <laughs> I heard. I heard. Yeah, I mean that's the interesting thing. You know, a bunch of my family's in medicine, so uh, my brother and oh, I are kind of odd odd man out. Um, so a bunch of family and friends in uh, medicine, and you know, we um, had a bit of an early warning, I guess, to this. And even when I was traveling, like we were talking uh, before we kind of started yeah. the podcast, um, that uh, I was in Switzerland down during the World Economic Forum in January. And so that's really when I started to pay attention because there was a bunch of, there was a huge Chinese contingent there. Um, but the other thing too is just with the, my travel schedule, just seeing how um, I think being in tech and knowing kind of virality and how it works. Yes. Um, you know, usually we're looking at different types of virality, not, <laughs> not an actual virus. Not literal, but. Yeah. But uh, having an understanding of how, exponential growth works um, and virality uh, coupled with my travel schedule and just being aware of, you know, how quickly things were kind of changing, especially in January. Mm -hmm. I started to pay a lot more attention to what was going on and started to take it a lot more seriously, I would say mid mid to end of January. A little bit ahead of the, well, because globally it was a different thing. And, you know, North America, we were, you know, we had our heads in the sand a little bit. I remember hearing about it, but didn't really consider it uh, an issue. I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the medical system out in BC. And that's what he said. He goes, you know, hey, don't want to say I was right. But around mid 10 January, he's like, hey, like, ooh, this is coming. He goes, everyone thought I was just, you know, being negative or being dramatic. And he goes, all of a sudden it became very, very real. So I think if you had your eyes up, it was a different, different story, but I think we all, we all think we're invincible until we're not. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, that's even sort of the challenge even today, right? Like, um, you know, most, uh, people still as a percentage of population haven't been infected or, or hasn't directly impacted them. So it's hard to relate unless it's directly impacted you. And I think that's one of the, the, things here. I mean, the other, you know, I guess 
thing for us is in our business, we deal with people all over the world. And so we were dealing with people, you know, via telegram or chat or email uh, in China, in Singapore, in uh, Japan, in Hong Kong. Um, so we kind of, you know, while it still didn't feel maybe as real because it wasn't directly affecting us so much, just hearing that they were actually in lockdown and having already seeing some of the delays that they went through in January. How, how it was impacting their world. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that also made it a bit more real that you're going, okay, well, unless it's contained in within the country, um, it's pretty likely to spread everywhere. And then uh, it's you're going to see the same effects everywhere. So, yeah. And, yeah. and here we are, you know, three, four months later with no, you know, I think WHO came out this morning with the statement of like the worst is yet to come, you know, which is not a super enthusiastic statement, but I, buddy, my, but my same buddy from BC just messaged me that because we were talking about, I'm always curious people's perspective and where they see it going. So that was his, that was his follow-up text to me this morning. Scott, as we're sitting here chatting. Well, let's, hey, let's dive into it. Uh, there's lots of news sources for to talk about COVID right now, but what we're here to talk about is economic transformation, Calgary, Western Canada, globally. Well, you know, we don't live in an island, clearly. <laughs> this yeah. pandemic has proved that we do not live in a bubble, uh, whether we like it or not. But so you are the co-founder of Bedali. So maybe mm-hmm. start there. Well, tell us, uh, we're creating a safer, more inclusive global financial system. That's a big, uh, that's a big statement on the first, uh, the first opening line in your LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, trying to, you know, think big. And I think we, you know, we really believe it, though. I think the, um, as I was telling you before in a bit of the preamble that we, uh, how we got into, I mean, I guess what Bedali does is we enable businesses to accept uh, cryptocurrency payments really easily. Um, And uh, one of our macro thesis is that uh, stable cryptocurrency is going to be the future of money. Um, mainly because the benefits that you get from it in terms of transparency, audibility, auditability, programmability, um, um, better security kind of baked right in as opposed to having to worry about it kind of at the edges. There's been a lot of unfortunate misinformation around, um, I think, around cryptocurrencies and people, you know, thinking they're purely used for money laundering or criminal activities or all these things. And well, very you know, dark web, Silk Road, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I think the way that you need to look at all technology is, you know, who tend to be early adopters of tech, right? Yeah, they end to be. You know, we saw this with the internet, with telephones, cell phones, uh, computers, uh, everything basically. And you know, it's nerds, and I feel like I can kind of <laughs> say that because yep. I'm you know, secretly at least one of them. I don't um, think that's a dirty word anymore. Really? Like the, the, yeah, the, the nerds will inherit yeah. the earth. I've heard those couple statements before too. Yeah, exactly. Cause they're, cause they're out there at the bleeding edge of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So it's the curious, it's uh nerds, maybe even some people that like to go off the beaten path a little bit. Um, and then you have gray area and, and illegal activity or people kind of looking to get a jump on, um, by using new technology, you could jump on law enforcement. Which is or- interesting if you look at the psychology. Of that. So the people that are looking, they're either curious or just inherently looking for a different way. But that other group who's actually looking for an, a leg up or an edge are going to it first, which that's kind of telling in the, in, in the sense of the value, right? Because if there isn't value, they wouldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Always. I mean, there's there's the yeah. uh, you know typical adoption curve. I mean, I'm sure some of the listeners are very familiar with that where you have you know early adopters, um, you know, uh, early majority, late majority and laggards, um, you know, in terms of adoption cycles. And I think we're in the phase of, you know, transitioning from, especially through 2017, we started to go from, you know, early adopters to 
maybe early majority starting to kind of tinker. And as a result, we started to see the space kind of grow up a bit more and, um, you know, pretty quickly. I mean, a lot more mature financial products are being built in this space that I think most people aren't aware of. Um, And so our, you know, kind of bringing it back around to what we do is that um, we got exposed to this space uh, by trying to pay people internationally. And it was really, really hard because we found really great developers that we were looking to hire in Nigeria, um, Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela. And this is back in 2016. Um, um, Ukraine, kind of all over. And the problem is, is either as a result of uh, sanctions or lack of financial infrastructure or um, just the difficulty or the fees and costs to doing international payments like that, it just wasn't uh, conducive to us uh, being able to actually bring on these people. Well, back to so much innovation, there was a fundamental need, like something wasn't working. It was, quote unquote, it was broken. (laughs) Yeah. And at the time, I mean, you know, even still, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that I can send a photo to anybody in the world, but I can't send money, Um, you know. (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of yeah when you hold one up against the other it's like okay this doesn't make sense like what, what what's what's quote unquote the difference but if like you made the comment earlier if you're relying on so much external regulation to regulate the thing itself there's an inherent disconnect that creates all kinds of holes and all kinds of it becomes problematic just by its by its the way it's designed right it's an old way of paying in a new world of technology that hasn't adapted to each other yet or more yeah and i mean the two major problems have been um you know, it's around fraud and money laundering. And I've got, you know, opinions on on whether a bunch of the procedures that are in place are actually effective versus, uh, you know, how much they actually harm people. Um, you know, even I'll take I'll take the stance on sanctions. I mean, while I think they're a great tool for influence, influence um, generally, they don't impact the people that they're intended to impact the most. Yes, they but, they, but they hurt the people that are the most vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's sad. And we've seen that, unfortunately, with a lot of people in Venezuela where, you know, they are earning uh, or getting paid in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies because it is literally the only means of survival. Right. Because the infrastructure is so interesting. And so just, uh, you know, not to tie this back to COVID again, but just in the world of distributed work, which is now becoming on, everybody's doing distributed work now. But if you look at, you know, having access to the best talent, they're not in the same town or you are even in the same country. They're all over the world. And so it's going to be interesting to see how companies now, just even how that, just that simple model evolves due to this, you know, uh, big sledgehammer that came in and hit all of how we do, how we quote unquote do business. Yeah, we've always, I mean, we've always had held that opinion that remote work is likely the future, or at least that we want to have a remote business. So we've been remote um, from day one. Uh, we're a team of five right now looking at expanding the team, but we have, we're all distributed. And even my one of my co-founders, uh, Corey Smith here in Calgary, uh, we live 10 minutes away from each other, but we probably see each other in person. You know, <laughs> I think the last time I saw him in person was in November. That's awesome. But yeah, you live 10 minutes apart. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, even pre-COVID, we were already pretty well into the remote work uh, Mm -hmm. environment. And so, you know, even we've experienced this pain kind of firsthand trying to pay people. One of our guys is still in Argentina. And um, as a result of talking with people in other countries, you know, it really opened my eyes as to how lucky we are here in North America because, man, like 
things that we just take for granted, like being able to go to the bank, uh, being able to move your money, um, being able to buy food whenever you want, having power consistently. Like in Venezuela, I was on a, uh, I was supposed to be on a call with uh, a lady that we're, you know, potentially looking at hiring even part time. Um, and uh, we ended up having to move the call to WhatsApp because uh, they didn't have power. Rolling blackouts. No, we yeah. we are so fortunate on so many. And to a certain degree, you can't help but take it for granted just because it becomes the norm. But every once in a while, and the more you're exposed globally to other environments, the more again it just keeps it, it helps keep pers- perspective. Because <laughs> yes, yeah. we take we take turning on the switch and having the light come on for granted. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So and I, I, mean, and I enjoy that. I enjoy living in that world. But when you think about you know the the ability for technology to influence in other environments where people, like you said, they just don't have the same infrastructure we have and then what role technology will play and their adoption will be immediate because there's no barrier. It's, it's just instantly better for them. Yeah. I mean, that's where we, you know, kind of why we think that stable cryptocurrency as a macro thesis is the future of inevitable, inevitable future money um, is because for a lot of these people now, all you need is an internet connection in order to have a multi-currency bank account. And uh, that's incredibly powerful. Um, and, you know, like there are, you know, now you're playing at the balance of how do you make sure that people don't use it for illegal activity, uh, which right. is still a very small percentage, but still, you know, is a very real concern and, and balancing that with the impact that it can have, the positive impact that it can have with other people. So yeah, for us, you know, our opinion has been, if that's the future of money, um, the only way that it actually materializes is if you can actually use it to pay for real goods and services. Yes. So uh, otherwise you're just kind of passing the buck down the line. And so this has led me down the rabbit hole of, um, you know, what is money and really thinking deeply about that published a five part series uh, a couple of weeks back about um, a little bit about that touches on this and history of money. Okay. So in relation to, you know, what's happening amid COVID and how is this potentially uh, changing uh, our, not only our macroeconomic environment, but with all this quantity of easing, how is this impacting um, things on a global scale? Um, more of a focus on the U.S. since it's the major economy that drives, um, um, you know, drives global finance um, because of the U.S. dollar being the global reserve currency. But then you know, bringing it back home too, as well to, you know, what is the impact going to be here in Alberta and Canada and Calgary. And so for us, you know, our platform right now, we enable businesses to accept cryptocurrency payments easily and and consumers to spend using it. But our major focus right now is on stable cryptocurrency and whether that's government issued or privately issued, like we already have today, quote unquote, stable coins, but basically, um, uh, cryptocurrencies that are pegged to like a Canadian dollar, or US dollar, or Euro. Um, okay, and, it creates more stability because they're they're tied to something tangible. They're tied to an actual accepted currency. Yeah, I mean, because the way that we look at this, the benefits are um, that you have more programmability, um, better security, um, better auditability. There's just a lot of cool things that you can do with this more programmable money that you previously couldn't do. It's kind of like super power money now. Um, because of all the different siloed systems that we had that were all proprietary. And there's globally, there's a big patchwork. Um, so the way that I l- like to think of it is, is kind of like when the internet came along, um, we now had a common protocol for being able to send information to each other. 
and now what's emerging is we're, you know, there's still, it's early in the space. We're still seeing some competing protocols, but we have, um, Bitcoin's the most famous one, but there's Ethereum is another one. There's other ones that are around. Um, now what we're seeing is this internet of value emerge and oh, that's a new, that's a new term for me. Internet of value. Yeah. And making it, um, you know, a common protocol that anybody in the world can now use instead of all of these different siloed systems for, you know, moving value around. And in this case, you know, I'm more interested in money, but um, other things like. Stock. I like it when you bring it back to the, if you put it onto the concept of value and then building it out from there, that's an interesting, that's an interesting way to kind of level it up in my yeah, mind. I mean, it could be data. It could be, you know, there's a bunch of different things, but at the end of the day, you know, we think that what's happening is this, you know, what happened with the internet is we saw a um, massive reduction in cost to transmit data and communicate, while at the same time seeing a massive increase in frequency. So if you look at, you know, over the last 30 years or 40 years, you know, pre-internet era, we had to, um, you know, we were sending physical letters and stuff, right? And how, how many could you pump out in a single day? Well, you're pretty limited. And now you're seeing people just blast messages and how many millions of messages get sent every day. Um, yeah, so for basically for pennies, if not free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we expect the same thing to happen with the transmission of value is that this is going to be the next iteration. Um, so in terms you know, of, in terms of, in terms of speed of change, I'm just curious because, because it touches on such an interesting you know, of money and value and currency in different countries and all the complexity there, is it just going to inherently take longer because it's more complex or will the masses gravitate this eventually? And it becomes a, you know, there's the push pull kind of side of this, right? Yeah, I think it's the opposite. I mean, you definitely have regulatory challenges and so on. If you want to be uh, regulatory compliant, like we are, um, and that, you know, does take time, but I think at the same time, um, you know, I've got a theory that since the internet came around, uh, especially with social media and, you know, GitHub, for example, where you can iterate on code and kind of remix people's, uh, other projects. Um, we've just seen a, a proliferation of, uh, work and creativity, especially in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. Um, because I think you now combined a real monetary incentive <laughs> for people yes. to, to remix stuff other than just, you know, pride. Um, cause there was already a lot of activity happening on GitHub, um, which, you know, there's been pros and cons to that too. Uh, but I think the net win here is that you have, uh, the innovation, the pace of innovation has been astounding. And I think, um, you know, my opinion is that with the internet and social media, we're just travels so much faster as we're seeing, like even amid this uh, pandemic, you know, a lot of people are thinking that, oh, you know, it's going to be potentially like the Great Depression and we won't see this for, you know, see, uh, we'll see real impact and recovery three years out or five years out or, you know, and my opinion is everything's compressed, like timelines that happened previously. It's more dramatic, but it's shorter. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the same thing with, uh, with, uh, cryptocurrency adoption and, um, you know, it took a while to kind of get the ball rolling, but I think, you know, we've seen, um, quite the adoption globally, um, pretty quickly. I think the big hamper there has been stuff that we talked about before, which was, you know, user experience is still a little bit challenging. Uh, how do you actually get cryptocurrency? We think the best way, frankly, is to earn it. 
Um, but that kind of comes back around to the thesis or, you know, our thesis is like, in order for somebody to want to earn it, they got to be able to spend it or use it. There has to be a, per- a perceived value. And if that perceived value is at least a titch higher than alternatives, that's what you'll put your time and energy to. Humans are kind of simple that way. If I see the value and it's clear to me, I'll invest my extra time in it. But if I can't use it or do anything with it to you know, provide my needs. And I like what you said about, you know, is, are we going to be a little slow in North America? Maybe because it's, e- it's easy. Like my life is good, but if I'm in a, a part of the world where I'm being held back by the infrastructure, by the government, by the regulatory, by sanctions, by all those things, I'm going to be pretty motivated to find a better solution. And I will, I will be open to trying anything. Yeah. I mean, we think a big one, um, well, we know a big one cause we have data here is around, um, inflation. Like inflation is an incredibly powerful motivator. And now the crazy thing, you know, my background's in computer science. Um, so I went to U of C, kind of born and bred Calgarian, uh, which is kind of rare. It is. We've had a couple of them. We've had a couple on the show. But um, I've always had a keen interest in macroeconomics. So, um, and that's, so cryptocurrency is kind of this perfect marriage of the two. And okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> as, as of late, even right now, like, <laughs> from a macroeconomic nerd perspective, I'm like, this is the most exciting time to be alive because we're seeing crazy stuff play out that's never happened before. And then nobody really knows how it's going. And like, and as you said earlier, at an accelerated pace, at a compressed, I liked like you said, I mean, everything's compressed because the way things move is so much faster because there's so much interconnectivity. We're not like, we're not even on islands, even a little bit. <laughs> no. So I think it's really hard for people to, you know, you can anecdotally say, you know, even Ray Dalio, for example, I have huge respect for him. Uh, managed to meet him uh, briefly in Switzerland as well in January, which was a huge highlight for me. Um, But, you know, he thinks that it's going to be kind of, things will play out similar to the Great Depression and other other series that we've had before. You know, you can go back in history and and look at, you know, when uh, kingdoms fell, a lot of it was through debasement and rapid money printing or inflation. Um, But the interesting thing now is we've never had this level of interconnectivity before. And we've never had this level of uh, like global interconnectivity. We've never had this level of um, speed of communication. And even frankly, speed of moving money around and value transfer already. You know, we think it can be much better, but it's already still way better than it was during the Great Depression. Well, to compare it to 1930, it's not even, you can't, it's not even in the same breath. It's not even in the same, like, it's like hyperspeed ahead. Yeah. So I think in terms of, you know, you'll see similar cycles happen where, you know, we're already seeing capital injection happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may in fact see inflation happen, especially in some countries where they don't afford, uh, have the ability to just print money at will, kind of like the U.S. does right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we may see some form of universal basic income or UBI kind of happen. I mean, frankly, that's kind of sort of what's happening to some. It, I was going to say, where this is the this is the closest we've ever been to something like that right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So now you're getting into this weird world of you know, uh, even with the U.S. buying up uh, um, equities, even for businesses or giving bailouts where they're going to potentially own equity. Like, are we now seeing the nationalization of some private? industry are we which is is, that's a whole another yeah there's so many layers of it that that are like little pieces of all kinds of different like political backdrops even if you want to play it out that way Mm -hmm. yeah so i think um you know we'll see similar things happen to what happened previously but you know looking at timelines and trying to time things i think is uh pretty much impossible i also think that 
um, we may be surprised because there are a lot of things that we didn't previously have before uh, that it's that could dramatically change how this you know uh, pandemic and you know, resulting economic uh, you know how it all plays out recession let's say um, plays out so well let yeah, it, it is. It, it, it's 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 hard not to be a little bit like. And again, I don't want to sound because there is a lot of negative and the people that are dealing with this and it's impacting their life negatively. But it's a pretty exciting time just for the sense that the Apple Card has been flipped over. <laughs> so yeah. what's going to happen? And I think that's exciting as an entrepreneur or someone who's excited about, entirely optimistic about the future. I'm pretty excited to see where this all goes. <laughs> and I think there's going to be opportunities for, for all of us in all different walks. So it's a there's there's my segue into this is fundamentally about economic transformation in Calgary. So you're a startup in Calgary working on a global stage. How's that been? Or what's, what's your views? We can talk about a little bit. What's it like being a startup in Calgary? And you've been, like you said, very involved with the startup Calgary scene. We talked offline, but also how's it been like, you know, what you, the world you're playing in is so much bigger than Calgary. Does it even, does being here have an advantage, disadvantage? What are your, what are your views on that? Yeah. So lots of views there. I mean, uh, um, we, so I'm, like I mentioned, I'm a born and bred Calgarian, uh, you know, huge fan of Calgary as a city, especially as I've traveled so much. It just feels so nice coming home. We're so lucky to be living in Canada and even Calgary itself. I mean, you know, this is maybe going a bit deeper, but thinking about, you know, uh, uh, at least prior to, uh, uh, prior to the last few years, I think really looking at Alberta as a relatively safe place to live economically, uh, definitely safe in terms of uh, people. You know, I you know spoke before that it still has this small town, big city vibe. It does um, the, the, the quality for of life here is is phenomenal from that perspective. Like just the value that your life creates, how safe and secure it is. I've lived in big cities. I've lived in the U.S. I, there's nowhere in Calgary I wouldn't even think of not going. You know, compared to some cities where you just don't go there. Like just at the simple like personal level of safety. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Right. That, uh, you know, walking around at nighttime, you're, you're not, um, you know, you're not, yeah, be, be, be street smart, but you don't like some neighborhoods saying I lived in LA for a while. You just don't go in those neighborhoods. Like it was just not a thing. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, I've always been a huge fan of coming home, even though I kind of had an inkling to move away. I think I've scratched that itch a little bit by being able to travel a bunch and being fortunate that way. Um, you know, being so close to the mountains and everything. And I think the, so it's a great place to build uh, a business um, mm-hmm. from quality of life perspective. But I think also, um, you know, there's really, there is really great talent here. I think there's been a lot of people saying, Hey, there's challenges uh, finding good talent. Um, I think I have a bit of a contrarian view and that I don't think that's the problem. Okay. I, oh, I love talent. it. Hey, that's what the show's all about. Let's put it out there. Absolutely. I think there's great talent everywhere. Um, I think the challenge is people think they're competing or at least traditionally have been thinking that they're competing with a bunch of companies locally or like we have to hire, you know, here in Calgary. And I'm like, our approach has always been, I'm going to hire the best talent no matter where they are. doesn't matter if they happen to be in Calgary. Great. If they happen, like if they happen to be Canadian, even better. Right. I'd love to support local, but at the same time, um, you know, I've been lucky to meet amazing people from all over the world and, uh, those people need lifelines too. So, uh, you know, I would consider myself a proud Calgarian and Canadian, um, but more importantly, a global citizen. And I just kind of feel like 
you know, will help. We want to help, you know, coming back to our vision, creating a more mm-hmm. safer, uh, more inclusive global financial system. I think like that's really where uh, my head has been at for quite some time and that being based in Calgary is a great spot because my family's here. It's a great place to live, you know, safe economy. We, we thought very seriously, especially in the space that we we're in, um, you know, there are other places that were more regulatory friendly or easier to work in, but there's a high degree of trust within Canada, you know, being able to build a business here. There's a bunch of the R and D support that we get here in Canada, um, relative political stability and economic stability. Um, so, you know, all of those things are things I think that people should consider when they're thinking about building a business because most businesses are not, you know, a one-year endeavor. They're a marathon, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, well, you've got to have that, especially, you know, the whole infinite versus finite mindset. If you're thinking out long enough and far enough, you take different things into consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, you know, to the extent of, if you look at the risk of natural disasters and stuff here in Calgary, it's it's pretty darn low. I mean, we had we had a pretty gnarly flood, but, you know, that was pretty rare. And even on top of that, there's been mitigation going in place. And if you live in higher elevation, there's not going to be issues. Whereas, you know, even I've met great people who, who live in the Midwest and the States, cheap, you know, great place to live as well. Uh, but hey, Turns out you got a pretty significant risk of tornadoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't foresee the roof flying off my house and anytime, anytime soon where I live in Calgary. Yeah, so, so I think, I think being here is, uh, you know, is a great place. Plug for Calgary. I mean, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally. I'm very pro Calgary as well. This, this podcast is pro Calgary, but it's also about having the hard conversations. You know, we've been you know, been talking to different people and it's, you know, there's, they're like, Oh man, we've been back on our heels for five years. Now we got this. Then I talked to someone else. They're like, well, yeah, we've been back on our heels for five years. So we should be good. We sure we're already building our way out. So this shouldn't even be a roadblock, you know, cause it feels like the double black swan event. That's a very trendy term right now in terms of the, you know, the oil price shock that we're dealing with as well as on top of COVID and kind of seeing the road forward. So any thoughts on Calgary from that perspective of kind of things that you said you've had support at a government level, like, is there things that you see that we're doing well as a, as a city or a province even and it's hard to just talk about the city it's it's just it's immediately larger than that yeah well i think you know the last so i've been in the you know in the startup ecosystem here in calgary for probably a decade or more um, okay you know before before it was cool to be in the startup ecosystem <laughs> yeah maybe uh, been a, through a bit of the ringer know quite a few people i think have kind of you know like most kind of pop my head up periodically to make some noise and then kind of uh, gone back down. Uh, when you go, go back, get, put your head back down and go back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah go back to work. Um, so I think, you know, we've been working to diversify Calgary and, and Alberta's economy for a long time and really pushing for the startup ecosystem for easily more than a decade. You know, well, I, I met with Terry Rock from Platform, and he talked about the original. I forget what the, the two or three iterations ago of Platform, but their their mandate back in the mid '80s was diversify Calgary. Like it's it's not a new idea. It's not a new concept. At at the end of the day, no. And but I think you know the stuff really. I personally felt that the last two three years, um, we really started to see that actually happening. Um. You know, a lot of that, and this was driven by just a whole bunch of people finally getting on the same page. So, you know, Startup Calgary, I think moving under Calgary Economic Development was a huge win because Startup Calgary was always this like 
sort of catalyst for startup stuff, but never had the support and resources to actually be effective. You know, we know. Okay. Interesting. Cause I've only, I've only got to know them in the last couple of years. So I've only seen this iteration of it. I didn't see it. I didn't know them before. Yeah. And I've known people that's, I know the people that startups started startup Calgary. They're no longer here, but they started it. Um, and then, you know, some of the board members previously and, you know, trying to make decisions and get funding and how is this going to work and do we have enough people to even champion things? I mean, we talked offline, the big challenge that I think we still have, which is why this podcast is incredibly important and other resources like this is highlighting what's actually happening in the city. Like most people have yep. no idea what's Thank going you. on. And no, we absolutely that personally, this journey, like every single person I talk to, there isn't an interview I do that I'm not like, wow, I had no idea or I'd heard about it, but I had no idea what was behind it. So I know I'm on that journey constantly and trying to share that. And that's the feedback I've got from people. Like I listen to your podcast just to hear what the heck's going on. Cause I just didn't, I, I realized I had no clue and I was filling that gap with more negative, with negativity actually is what I've heard from a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, people think that, um, nothing's really happening, but I think, you know, projects like, startup genome, um, even, you know, the Canadian blockchain consortium, which I'm part of, and a couple other organizations have done um, things across the country, which are across the province that highlight, you know, which businesses are actually dealing with these technologies and those reports and stuff really help. And I think this is where, you know, CED and startup Calgary um, starting to align and work together um, really started to make a bit more of an impact in that they mm-hmm. actually have resources to start to corral people and and break down those silos that we've traditionally had i think you know the other thing too is um you know say what you will about the ndp government i think previously but they were probably the most central government we've had in alberta in quite some time at least they definitely swung swung that way um you know because i mean (laughs) you can't ignore the oil and gas industry when it's the major the major industry, you know, and driving. And I think as we're seeing with COVID, you know, everything's interconnected. So the trickle down effect of a major industry having a hard time like they are have over the last, you know, five years, let's say, but especially now and likely even more pain to come in the next year, um, that that has a huge impact. And so, you know, you need to make sure you support that, but at the same, so the interesting thing with the NDP is they kind of, you know, I I would say probably initially campaigned a bit more of a socialist sort of agenda, but definitely had to adjust and swing to be like, Hey, we do need to support, you know, more traditional conservative. Yeah. It felt like once they, uh, yeah, I'm not being a big pro NDP, uh, but it's, this isn't a political show. It's, it's, we're we're nonpartisan, but it's a real conversation. It was interesting as they got in and it, this slowly, their message started to balance out like month one, it was one message, but six months later, the message was much more balanced because you can't ignore the backbone of, of what has been the province while at the same time, not only focusing on it, which I think was maybe a little bit was happening before. So like everything there, there's a balance somewhere in the middle that we seem to have a trouble finding because we swing too far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, at least on the tech side, that was one of the huge changes is that we finally saw a level of coordination across all, you know, not just startup people, but then also, you know, people who had made money in Alberta, either on real estate or um, agriculture or um, energy, really starting to become more educated around how to evaluate 
tech deals and invest in tech deals and support the tech ecosystem. We had the Alberta Innovation Tax Credit that the NDP introduced, um, which was huge because that changes the fundamental model, uh, like the risk models around investment too, which was honestly massive for getting um, specifically oil and gas investors kind of over that hurdle of willing to take a bet on something that they may not understand quite so well and can't necessarily price in the same way that you can price commodities and risk um, with tech investment. So well, it's a much more intangible world for them. And, and, you know, being investing, I know lots of like private equity and families in town and they owe their mandates were only to invest in oil and gas because that's what they knew. But then all of a sudden that wasn't returning anymore. And it was a big transition from them. It was like they had an identity crisis just to invest in something different. So well, making, paving that road for them is a huge, is a huge way to make that start to happen. Yeah. And this is, I mean, if we're talking about transformation and opportunity, I mean, I think this is like now become a blunt hammer. I mean, yesterday we saw oil futures go negative for the first time ever. Yes, Um, I saw that. So, I mean, (laughs) crazy times we live in, but I think this is... is (laughs) There's a quote of the day, crazy times we live in, t-shirt, done. (laughs) Yeah, but this is where, you know, the, the transition to diversifying in my opinion has to happen if Alberta and, and frankly, Canada. Um, yes. It's not, not we will be on the borders for this conversation. I agree. Yeah. This is a Canadian issue too. If you have a province uh, lose a significant portion of its GDP and all of, all of a sudden within a span of a few years go from being, let's call it a have province in air quotes yes. to, uh, to uh, uh, have not, um, it's going to be massive for all Canadians. So I think this is why, you know, Fed support as well as provincial, I'd like to see some of that come back because I know um, um, the Conservative Party killed the Alberta Investor Tax Credit and a couple of things that were actively helping the tech uh, industry and ecosystem. Have you seen that kind of in your ecosystem? Because I've, I've talked I, to a few people that like were cr- like directly impacted to that. So did it have that negative effect that was originally when it first happened, the media kind of grabbed it, but then they kind of dropped it almost right away. It kind of disappeared into the background in my mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no, no way about it. Yeah, there's no, there's no way around that. <laughs> it had a negative impact. I mean, you have to look at, you know, typical returns to say it's not working when it's only been around for two, I think two and a half years. Um, is very short-sighted because typically this takes seven to 10 years to play out. I mean, there's been precedent set in lots of other countries, you know, the UK, uh, Germany, um, Silicon Valley famously, but like a bunch of um, these places have had some sort of, especially in the UK and Germany have had investor tax credits and a lot of our other provinces too. We're the only province today, as far as I'm aware now that doesn't have uh, an investor tax credit. So you know, what does that do to startups? I mean, they, you know, when you're nimble, you go, you go somewhere else. You know, you go somewhere else. And so I think it's very counterintuitive and this stuff takes, does take time. I think the other thing that wasn't highlighted is we've seen some really great tech companies that support the oil and gas sector and the energy sector. And as a result, you know, they've made the oil and gas industry uh, a lot more efficient, which means less FTEs or in some cases, uh, in other cases, uh, powering, you know, empowering their people to be more efficient, more effective. And so there was a huge percentage, and I think it was close to 50 of a lot of, of the companies that benefited from the Alberta investor tax credit were oil and gas tech companies. 
So interesting. Okay. I never heard that number. I didn't, I didn't know what it actually was or what the impact was and how, they, how you tied all that together. Huh. Yeah. So to, so to kill that, to say, Hey, we're going to support the oil and gas sector is kind of like, <laughs> it, clearly there's a data, uh, data gap. Yeah. That, 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 that feels, that feels very short-sighted all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, that's where one of the things I'd like to see come back. And I think this is, if we bring back to what was, you know, working well, uh, previously, I think, you know, we finally had harmonization across uh, startup ecosystem, investors, municipal government, provincial government, all championing. We want to uh, encourage diversity, uh, diversification. So, you know, the two major mm-hmm. industries, uh, I would say that benefited from that were um, the brewing beer industry, brewing industry. Yes. Uh, the explosion there that we had, which, you know, there'll likely be a correction coming up as well. Um, like most markets and then the tech, uh, tech sector too. So I think, you know, that's the stuff that was working well. I think, you know, the stuff that's not is, and, and this is maybe almost a bit of a Canadian issue too, is that we don't buy local enough. Like, I'm uh, the, buy, the buy local. That's another thing. I think this COVID situation is really bringing to light the importance. If we don't support local, it's going to go away, you know, and I'm on a bit of a rally against that. I don't want to live in a world of just at the most basic level franchises and national chains. I want some, I want some homegrown stuff in my community. And I think that goes starts from right from the coffee shop in the corner, all the way up to businesses like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for us, I mean, typically, you know, where we started, you know, coming back to our thesis of like, if cryptocurrency is going to be money in whichever form it takes and you need, you need to be able to spend it. So how do we enable people to spend it as quickly as possible? So we said, well, we could actually enable people to leverage existing infrastructure like gift cards, for example. So being able to convert one stored value to another. Um, so today, you know, we support uh, between that bill payments and being able to fi- buy uh, mobile phone credits and data plans. We support, um, we've got coverage in 140 countries, over 800 brands, pretty soon to be over over 1,000 easily, uh, like within the next few weeks, um, because we're continuing to kind of double down there in order to make it so people can actually use, you know, these better digital currencies. Um, as a result, though, you know, most of the brands we work with are the larger chains or international yes. or yeah. right. So now they've got the infrastructure and they're also forward thinking enough to see what's coming around the corner and start to work and plan for it. Yeah. So now one of the new things we're working on, uh, as I mentioned to you before we started, this is kind of the sub thesis to this is we think that branded currency is going to be the next iteration of, um, you know, gift cards, rewards or incentive programs and, uh, Interesting. And, uh, so how would you just for simple terms, not to over how, define branded currency? Yeah. So basically a brand having their own cryptocurrency. So Walmart, for example, simple as it is, right? Patent, you know, for their own, you know, in quote stable coin, but basically US dollar denominated Walmart coin, right? That you could yep. use um, as a gift card. So what we're trying to do is in Canadian tire money on steroids, basically. Yeah. To oversimplify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a great interesting. Analogy. So that's kind of the way that we look at it is like digital Canadian tire money on steroids that now you can do all sorts of crazy things with where you could very easily swap it. Not only do you get better traceability and reduce fraud and money laundering costs and auditing costs, Mm -hmm. you can also um, now do really crazy things where, 
people can start to treat these things as assets potentially. Like it's already happening in the cryptocurrency space. People borrowing against their Bitcoin or um, interesting or because or, that asset yeah. is so transparent because because of the way it's digitally managed, it's transparent. So the ability to borrow against it does the immediate perception of this has higher value because we know it's true. We we can legitimize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you can. That's interesting. The beauty is that you can actually get visibility. You know then. And, into all of the transactions that are happening. And so there's, you know, on the one hand, there's a bit of privacy concern there. So there's a lot of people working on really cool tech uh, that is already coming um, that will enable these things to be more private. Um, okay. so that somebody couldn't just say, you know, hey, Tyler, I see that you've got, you know, $10,000 in that that you yeah. know, wallet address or whatever, or I see that you sent your money to all of these different people. Um, but being able to see things on a more macro such, scale. Such a balance of transparency versus privacy versus government involvement. And man, so many layers when you unpack it all. Yeah. But being able to see things on a more macro scale um, is really interesting. So one of the things that we're actually working on is kind of a, a thought piece and likely a bit of a POC uh, coming out in the next few weeks is uh, kind of ties some of this stuff together. So we're calling it the Canadian social assistance token. So think of it like food stamps on steroids, basically. Okay. So the idea being Canadian, so- Canadian social assistance token. Yeah. So the idea yeah. being that you can actually uh, invert uh, the flow of money to give um, the government a bit better visibility into on a macro level, where okay. funds actually go and also increase the efficiency of being able, not only the speed, but also the efficiency and cost of being able to move funds around. So right now what's happened, for example, is we had, uh, if you're familiar with the, um, um, the emergency bank account, uh, uh, so SIBA, I think is the acronym. Yep. Canadian emergency bank, bank account, uh, for, uh, for businesses to be able to draw on. So it was 40 K for those who had yeah, I was the 40 K and then $10,000 might be uh, forgivable down the road kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what the central bank needs to do is says, okay, we're going to issue this as credit. Um, now we need to figure out which commercial banks, like how do we allocate this, you know, $250 billion pool of funds that we're going to, or $200 billion pool that we're going to put into, um, you know, all these different commercial banks. How do we divvy up that pie? Uh, how do we mm-hmm. get reporting onto, how this actually was distributed, which businesses benefited from this. Like there's a lot of overhead there and to do this really rapidly is really, really hard. So what we're suggesting is actually inverting it. Instead of going from central bank to commercial bank to the individual, and this is mm-hmm. worse in the United States. So it's like there's multiple middlemen all the way along the, the money printing uh, or uh, credit, credit <laughs> issuing yeah. trail. Um, how do we go maybe the other way and say people can actually apply and get money directly from the Fed meeting certain criteria, but because there's uh, the security benefits, um, it's really hard to fake transactions with cryptocurrencies um, and distributed ledgers because there's the transparency around, you know, anybody being able to basically audit on a macro level, at least the flow of funds. um, We can actually provide a lot of, uh, visibility into how much of this money is actually allocated and to who and mm-hmm. could enable is the ability for banks or uh, large corporations like utility providers or telecoms to be able to just net out with the central bank 
because ultimately oh, interesting. Yeah, I understand. Where funds end up flowing or a lot of the funds end up flowing at the end of the day is they end up going back to the banks or going back to, yep. you know, as people pay their mortgages and credit cards and so on, or um, they end up going back to these utility providers, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a huge percentage of that that ends up just flowing back to these large uh, institutions that could easily. So, so why not stream using this f- format? Why not streamline that whole process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it, and create and, and have huge transparency on actually what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we're looking at um, doing over the next bit, even just as a proof of concept to um, show what's possible and the benefits, because the cool thing here is like, um, you know, we've spoken with some people at the bank of Canada um, the neat thing is that they would actually have a bit more visibility into uh, how mu- at a minimum, which they don't really have right now, is, okay, we've got you know this pool of funds that we've allocated for this resource. How much of it is actually allocated versus how much isn't, right? They could easily just look at a dashboard and be like, cool, 50% of it's already been distributed. It's, 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 it's working or if, or if it's not being distributed or not working, what's holding it back or what's, what's actually going on. Yeah. So right now that requires a lot of phone calls, a lot with a bunch yeah. of different stakeholders, um, including not just banks, but also businesses on the ground. And then they're relying on, you know, community leaders and, and, uh, um, it's a, short and short, it's a, it's an antiquated model yeah. right now. So that's the way that we're looking at, um, looking at things. And so as a result of that, you know, we kind of think that these two things could kind of intertwine with branded currency sort of being this next evolution of digital gift cards and that you could actually just um, convert this social assistance token to a branded currency, a digital gift card, mm-hmm. yeah. be able to redeem it at certain businesses. So, so when Facebook came out, was that, I don't even know, eight months ago, 10 months ago yeah. with their, I think it was, I forget what they, I forget even what they called it, but would that be considered a branded currency when Facebook, when Facebook kind of put that out and kind of went out in the media and made a big splash and then it, and then it kind of didn't, or am I thinking of that differently? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, like, you're, 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 you're nodding your head side to side and forward at the same time. Yeah. Yes and no. Cause I think like they, uh, so we were, we actually did one of the first integrations of Libra. Um, it was, it's not officially live. Libra, that's right. So um, the concept is that it's, it was meant to be sort of this global currency that isn't, you know, Facebook's own coin. Um, yes. You know, they're the ones driving it. There's a consortium put together. I mean, you know, it's kind of a rabbit hole to kind of go into how it's structured and things like that. But at the end of the day, like it's sort of this middle ground between a branded currency and not. So it's not really meant to okay. be Facebook uh, coin per se. Um, however, right now it's pretty much driven by Facebook. And I would say you could argue that, um, the only difference right now is they call didn't call it Facebook coin. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, for, okay. They, they, they named it specifically, but, um, that being said, you know, that's not their vision for it. And I think we definitely appreciate and align with the vision, uh, which is why we jumped on it when it first came out last summer. Um, you know, it's still in the test testing phases so it's not ready for mainstream prime time yet and there's a bunch of regulatory hurdles they need to jump through but this is kind of where we see things going Um, and we've had some businesses approach us already about being able to use their own branded currency as um, a solution for this Um, so not interesting not in calgary yet because this is also fairly new stuff Uh, and i would Mm -hmm. you know we haven't really put the word out until even now about some of this stuff um but 
if we bring it back to, you know, how does building a startup kind of, how is it in Calgary? I would say most of the businesses, uh, like now we're transitioning to a phase where how do we support local businesses and how do we work with businesses or Canadian businesses? Because most of the people that we've worked with have not been in Calgary. And frankly, I haven't even been in Canada. Like a lot of the people that we deal with are, you know, international brands, mainly based out of the States. Um, a lot of the other cryptocurrency ecosystem players, uh, exchanges, wallet providers, uh, mining uh, groups, um, people that are doing more decentralized lending. So kind of think of it like neobanking, but using these new, uh, more efficient, more programmable uh, monetary mediums. Um, you know, these people are all over the world. And so we're dealing with them, you know, people in Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, Latin America, United States, some in Canada. I mean, we have great talent pool in this in the blockchain ecosystem in in Canada, but a lot of it is um, has been exported to other other countries or dealing with people globally. And your thoughts around that is just more bleeding edge, more necessity, more willingness to try something new, more bigger organizations that have those budgets to say, "Hey, we believe this is potentially a future horse. Let's go put let's go invest some time and energy into where it might go." I think there's a little bit of regulatory um, hurdles that we've, you know, one of the things that came back when I came back from Switzerland is um, seeing how progressive some other countries have been like Switzerland, uh, Bermuda, uh, Malta, Estonia, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, you know, with some of their regulations, even Australia, to be honest, um, around businesses that are dealing with cryptocurrency, because there's still this right. stigma associated with it, like we talked about around, uh, you know, there, yeah, they're absolutely is. legal things. And, I, and I've heard from anyone who's worked in the banking or in the financial sector in Canada, or even North America, they're notoriously resistant to change is what I've heard from anyone who's gone, Hey, this is a new, better way. No, no, no. That's, that's not for us, but I know it's changing, but I, I've always heard historically, they've been very slow to the, to the, to the line. Yeah. Well, I mean, banks are kind of notoriously slow, I think too. Yep. Um, and they, you know, that's sort of a good thing. Um, you know, you don't, I don't know if you really want banks. Yeah, fair to be fair like, enough. I don't, I don't want my bank rolling the dice. <laughs> you know, that's some of the problem I think that we have in the cryptocurrency ecosystem is that people have just, uh, why you hear some hacks and you're like, you know, sometimes big hacks and you're like, man, that was from a software dev experience, software devs perspective. That was pretty basic stuff that you should have been covering. And you're basically just trying to run with your head, head down a little too quick. Um, you know, some are more sophisticated, I mean, but I would I would argue that some of the more sophisticated hacks um, could happen to any organization, uh, including our leading financial institutions. I mean, frankly, there's a lot that the banks could learn from people in the cryptocurrency space in terms of the tooling that's available for counter- counteracting money laundering and fraud, um, fake IDs, like all sorts of stuff. The cool because the cool thing is a bunch of these companies are new, right? And so we've been able to not be encumbered by um, by legacy systems. So we got to build on, you know, the new shiny stuff, which is, you know, using AI for detection and able to integrate that in months instead of years in a multi-million dollar budget. So, you know, there's uh, for sure the blockchain ecosystem is far ahead of most bank uh, security Um everything from uh, money laundering and, and fraud uh, detection to uh, anti-phishing. Um, 
technology, things like that, multi-factor authentication. Well, it's based on the level of, t- of transparency and how auditable everything is. It's just, it's, it's better set up to, to not have as many holes mm-hmm. yeah. from what my understanding of it as I'm learning about it. Yeah. So when you think about bringing this back to Calgary for a minute, it's hard to, you know, this is such a global uh, conversation. It's hard to bring it to, to just go, well, let's just talk about Calgary for a second. But as a startup guy and someone who's been in the ecosystem for 10 years in Calgary, is there anything that you look for as if, you know, I always ask, I ask this question of guests, if you and I were going to build our dashboard and, you know, six months from now, we're going to come back and look at our dashboard and say, Hey, look, we got some greens here. Calgary's doing well because we're doing this, this, and this. What, what kind of things would you look for specifically as, you know, startup or even broader sense, what would you put on the dashboard that we, you and I were going to come back to six months from now and chat about yeah i think you know i i think to give uh, ced and startup calgary uh, some credit here where it's due you know they've been pushing pretty hard the last few years and, and really trying to drive some of these metrics um you know i i think the first one is kind of coming back around to why i've been a little bit less involved in the ecosystem uh you know, over the last few years is I think we need businesses that people want to work at. I think we need innovative. Oh, interesting. Okay. I like that one that people are excited to work at. Um, you know, cause a lot of the good people that I know are working remote or, um, and this comes back to sort of this global talent pool, uh, scenario is that they're either working remote or, uh, you know, they're, they've left, and gone down to the Bay Area or New York or Austin or, you know, even Vancouver or Toronto um, to work for cool companies. And, and it's not to say that there aren't cool companies. There are. There definitely, there's very cool companies here. I think it's just a lot of people don't know about them. So I think that's one of the, the main things that I would like to see is like more highlights around which companies are around here, I mean, I think clearly investment is massive. I mean, you can't build companies without capital or cash. Um, so, you know, that seeing more local investment would be huge, uh, especially if we're able to attract investment from outside of Calgary. Yeah, outside this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Right. It can't just, you know, you can initially be seeded by, and we're fortunate enough to have some amazing angels like, um, uh, uh, Michael Lang, Chen Fong, uh, James Lockery, uh, co-founded Wave. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so we've got some great um, local investors, but honestly, that kind of just kind of happened. Like some of those relationships I had kind of built, others were intros from other people, other investors. But really, we were looking outside of Calgary for the most part. You know, spending kind of spent most of my time speaking with investors in Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto. Uh, New York, uh, Silicon Valley, some out of Asia, some out of Europe. Um, because A, the deal terms you're going to get are a lot better. Um, people seem to be more willing to take bets uh, and, a, and are more familiar with the VC sort of model. I was just going to say back to your earlier comment, are they just more comfortable with this kind of an investment model versus a tr- more of a traditional what has been a Western Canadian and VC model? Yeah, definitely. But I think also, you know, a huge win that we had here in Calgary, uh, which almost slipped my mind, <laughs> we're, we're a CDL company this year. So we're actually in the CDL blockchain stream in Toronto, which is just about to wrap up. I think our last sessions at the end of this, uh, end of this month. And oh, you guys are involved. In, oh, that's interesting. That's, oh, how's that, how's that experience been? Good. Yeah. I mean, it's been great in terms of uh, getting connections and keeping you accountable. I think the cadence, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the program, but it's a little different. Yeah, I am a little bit. I forgot a couple of friends were involved. 
it. I had uh, Evan Evan Hugh on the show. I had Judy Fairburn on the show. Yeah. So both both huge players in that environment. Yeah, perfect. So I think that you know for Calgary, that was huge because not only did that start to bring a good format together on how to incubate companies. Because what I've been advocating before, even over the last decade, is like the two major things that have been missing in the ecosystem. It's not capital. It's people's education uh, on the investor mm. side and knowing how to evaluate yeah. a good deal and then being comfortable enough that they can make an investment, right? But then on the flip side, having entrepreneurs that actually um, know what makes a good deal and it's <laughs> and understand, you know, Brings to bring their pieces to that to that puzzle, right? Yeah, and this is where I think a lot of the work that Startup Calgary had started and wasn't able to really do until they came into CD, and where Platform Calgary is now filling a void, you know, in getting early stage um, businesses to to become investable or people who have an idea. Like, how do you go from cool? I got an idea in my basement, or while I was in the shower, to now becoming, you know, the early stages of a business and um, you know, we started to set up that ecosystem of how do you graduate businesses along? I think the big thing that we're missing still today is uh, investors willing and including foreign investment. So this is partly a highlighting exercise of businesses here, but it's happening. Um, you know, companies like Zazun, for example, they raised uh, 14 million, I think last year. Um, you know, Adabotics raised a huge amount of money. So we have businesses that are local that are starting to attract attention, which is great. We just need to keep on that momentum and keep highlighting the wins that are happening here so that we can attract foreign investment and also attract, um, you know, frankly, give uh, the local investors a bit of a pat on the ass too, I think, to to say like, thanks for the support and, and start turning these into meaningful returns because those will lead to additional investment, right? And it takes time. It, creates, it doesn't happen. Success creates more. A lot of people I've heard from and depending on different sectors is the we're not the best at telling our story because there's, you know, we're too head down, ass up kind of doing the work sometimes. And you don't like these companies don't tell their stories. The wins don't get talked about. And, it's a very you know, we have these success stories and then they disappear into the, into the behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it's a very like, like Canadian prairies kind of attitude though too. Like you yeah, just out, yeah, I've gone back and forth to Toronto uh, a lot this year, you know, there's, it's definitely, you notice, uh, you know, between New York and Toronto, the East Coast side, there's a lot more hype, let's say, and less delivery and on, on yeah. in the, definitely in the prairies, but even on the West Coast side, you know, more delivery, not enough hype, probably. So again, somewhere in the middle, there's, there's always a balance It's the extremes. You're right. There's no, there's no lack of bravado in some like cities like Toronto, New York, but here there's a little bit more of that humble, you know, just kind of get her done. But you know, the best kept secret that usually doesn't work out. Yeah. Especially these days. I mean, what I would like to see if we were to put it on like specific metrics, um, investment dollars coming in, I know CED and a bunch of the other groups look at jobs created. I think that is useful metric, obviously. Um, but that doesn't always indicate growth especially in the software uh, industry. Like, I hate to say it. This is why I've been talking with other people around how do I diversify in which, excuse me, sectors uh, would be able to actually transition energy jobs without a ton of retraining and be able to repurpose um, infrastructure uh, and machinery without having to do a ton of um, rework. Because SaaS businesses, frankly, like they automate away... uh, you know, FTEs, right? So it's, so I mean, 
job growth isn't necessarily the best metric, in my opinion. I think investment dollars and revenue are likely a better one. Um, you know, and I think this is where what I've been kind of speaking with the, the Fed government around is like, <clears throat> especially mid COVID, the time right now is to support one of the things we're still lobbying for is for uh, uh, businesses that maybe haven't taken, that they remove the restrictions around uh, around the, uh, the wage uh, subsidy qualifiers. So, okay. And, and potentially for SIBA as well. But I think especially the wage subsidy qualifier, like we had a big win on Friday with um, the FedGov saying, hey, we're going to pump another $1.2 billion into our R&D and specifically tech. Yes. Because I yeah, think I this is, you know, this is the time when, you know, invest in R&D, right? Uh, keep people at work, invest in technology that coming out the other side is going to pretty yeah, massive, exactly. massive kind of tool up and invest in the future that it is coming. And to your point, maybe faster than it's come before. Yeah. And the same, arguably faster. And the same thing with the wage subsidy too. I think like, you know, there are businesses right now, I know from talking with founders that are in a de- decent cash position, but they push pause on hiring or dialed it back or because of the uncertainty. And, you know, if a business is growing or still, or doing reasonably well, then there, that's a very strong indicator that, um, <clears throat> amid the new world we're going to be seeing that they are yeah, likely that, going to be successful. So we should be but, but not having them be able to take advantage of the situation because they're not doing bad enough. Like that, that, that is interesting. Yeah. I've, we've had that dialogue internally, like, well, we're not doing great, but we're not doing that bad. So therefore where does it leaves us, leaves you kind of in that no man's land for a little bit. Yeah. We're, we fall in that. So, you know, maybe a little bit of selfishness there, but for me, this is really looking at, you know, doubling down on what's actually working. Right. Um, Yes. You know, and so well, that's it. That's the psychology we have. Like, who, you, do you lean into the person who's subpar or do you invest in your high performers or your, or your medium performers that have the potential to be high performers? Absolutely. I think sometimes we invest in the bottom. We don't invest in the middle or the top because we just kind of leave that run. And if you look at that as a, as a whole ecosystem perspective, you, you really want to lean in on the horses that are already like out in the lead, <laughs> not, not trying to trying to prop up the stragglers and I don't want to sound cold in, in, in saying that statement, but you're right. If you're doing okay now, man, accelerate those guys. <laughs> well, and, and I guess to keep rolling on some of the agenda stuff, like I know, you know, wh- one of the questions you had was like, when do we know whether we've arrived, I guess, in terms of. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a funny question now hearing it said back to me actually. <laughs> but I think uh, that's a great question. I don't think you ever really do. Um, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. we're continually likely continually improving, but I think, you know, one of the good indicators, well, I hate the term, but like unicorn, right. But I think if we start to see, um, you know, whether it's an exit, a successful exit to existing companies or seeing, I would love to see a Canadian, a Calgarian company, like tech company go public. Like a proper and stay and, and go public, stay here, keep operating, growing that yeah. whole model versus see another, versus the selling out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to see another Shopify. I want to see it come out of Calgary. You know, I'm hoping that we can maybe be one of those companies. Um, mm-hmm. But even if not, like that's what I want to see because I think that what Shopify did not only for Ottawa but frankly all of tech in Canada is I was going to say that's that feels like a Canadian success story for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it shifted the narrative where we went from being a, a, a bunch of businesses that typically exit maybe a little too early to American or foreign investors um, to going, Hmm, maybe we can be a world leader in something. 
And I think that's a massive psychological shift and something that I would like to see Calgarians adopt and Albertans adopt in that, you know, coming out of this, that we can be world leaders in tech. I mean, why not? We got, we have brilliant people here. I was going to say, they're, they're, why, why not? There's, there's no real reason right now. We certainly have no lack of smart people, to your point. No, and a great place to live. And honestly, some of the- Yeah, but some- circling right back to the easy, quality of life. If you looked at the window right now, it's beautiful outside. Yeah, some of the lowest taxes in, in, uh, in Canada and even some, you know, frankly, around the world. Like there's, there's startups that are built in Sweden and startups that are built in Norway and like all over the place. And, you know, they significantly more taxes. They're astronomical compared to here. Yeah, so- I, there's no, there's no reason other than uh, people just kind of coming together, supporting each other, and I think uh, sharing information. So, you know, one of the things even I was on a call with CD yesterday, I think you know there's some great stuff that platform Calgary is doing to support people. Startup Calgary has a bunch of great initiatives as well. Um, uh, CED is putting together um, sort of a tech 101, which I think is great. Uh, I don't have a ton of details on it, but they're planning on releasing some stuff now, which I think is around how do we get people up to speed on the tools and tech and working digitally? What's actually available? I got, I'm going to have Mary Moran on in a couple of weeks on the show. I just, uh, Brad Perry reached out to me yesterday. So I'm excited to have her on to talk about some of these new initiatives that they're doing actually. So, cause I've kind of, I was, I was informed, but I'm curious like out of this current crisis and what are they doing now and kind of where things are evolving, where they see them heading. So I'm anxious to have her on and kind of get her to share some of that stuff. Yeah. And I think that, you know, kind of blends into one of the next things, which is like, you know, where is help kind of needed most? I think investment is still there. I think, uh, education, frankly, is the big one. There is no shortage of capital here. I mean, we're also sitting in a very different environment, um, given that a lot of people's money was tied in oil and gas and real estate. Um, so I'll, I'll caveat that, which we don't really know how that's going to play out over the next uh, six months to a year or longer. But there's still a decent amount of capital um, and there is still investment happening in tech. So I think the big thing is, you know, making people, uh, helping people champion each other's companies. I think that's the local Canadian businesses, supporting them uh, and and Calgary businesses, like supporting them if you can, if there's a need, um, even if you just see that they're doing something awesome, you know, even something simple as sharing it out to your network on social media makes a big difference. Um, those are easy wins that anybody can do. But I think even, you know, some of the other ones is helping share knowledge um, around what's working, uh, you know, intro introducing investors or even entrepreneurs, like that's a common ask for a lot of entrepreneurs, even for myself is like, Hey, would you mind doing an in- intro? And I'm like, yeah, but I also, you know, part of this is like helping teach other people, like what's the right way to facilitate an intro? What information do I need in order to make it easy for me? Um, you know, I, there's, cause there's reputational risk too. Like you want to make sure that you're, mm-hmm. you know, that you hand off an intro. That's not a waste of, this person's time. Well, hey, there's, there's nothing more valuable than the potential of a, of a new relationship. Yeah. So I think it can be exponential. I think there's little easy wins that a lot of people can do in just, you know, helping share best practices and highlight businesses. But then there's like the more formal, formal programs that are coming together and the, the stuff through CDL that has been helping educate investors and nurture entrepreneurs. I think there's uh, Platform Calgary, which is really helping people. I think uh, some of the startup Calgary highlights, community highlights, those help. Um, CED now putting together some of these more retraining programs and or bringing together groups for retraining. I think all of that stuff is helpful. It just, it takes a bit of time. So 
to get people involved like that. None of these things do happen overnight for sure, but you're right. I think, and I've had so many guests on it. Like if you look at all the, we've got all the ingredients to bake the cake. We're just slowly bringing them all together. Like it's not baked yet, but if you look at it, all the ingredients are all lying around on the table. Yeah, I agree. So I think the big thing there is awareness, like making sure people know that those things are available. Um, Which is exactly part of the root of this show. Like, you know, what Kevin and I, he approached me, he's like, I'm having all these conversations, but I don't think they're talking to each other. We need to get a rallying point, which was kind of our, you know, our fund, the root motivation for the fact that, you know, you could have 10 conversations, but realize that none of them had talked to each other and they all should be, or at least half of them should have been, and they're not. So that, that alone can make a huge shift. And it's so simple to your point. It's not complex. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and there's arguably no barrier once you just have that mindset, right? Yeah. And it makes a big difference, I think. Um, you know, the other thing I think that we could, that I would like to see is, um, and this is a call out to some of the larger organizations. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna point fingers. I think because I know some. Do it. Do it. Perfect. Solium, I'd like to see them engaged a lot more. I think you know the Clio team has done a great job of engaging and helping nurture and grow um, a bunch of the local developers, designers, etc. Cleo's like originally from Vancouver, you know, like we had to have a, a company kind of expand into Calgary to kind of help that stuff out. We have lots of great established companies that I would like to see help nurture uh, and engage uh, up and coming companies. Um, specifically, I think where they can lend a lot of uh, expertise is at the executive level. Like being able to help nurture people who are that, having- that mentorship, that guidance, that hey, don't I don't step on this landmine, step over here, step over there. That's huge value. I agree with you. A on lot that. of people have been saying, oh, we're lacking all this this uh, you know executive leadership, and it's like, sure, we might be lacking some of the traditional Silicon Valley uh, leadership. We don't have to emulate everything that has been done in the Valley. We can create a bit of our own. <laughs> We can't innovate our, our own way. Yeah. Now I've heard that before from a couple of startup guys that I was trying to, they're like, you know, Hey, you get a little bit of money and you get rolling, but then all of a sudden you realize quickly, it's that mentorship that you're missing. It's not necessarily like, okay, I've got a pile of money, but I, I, I don't really know what my next two or three steps, or I can see one step. I can't see two or three and having other entrepreneurs that are on multiple exits or kind of been on that journey that you might find in the Valley as an example, I've had that put out there as like, there is that bit of a gap, but I like what you said. There's no gap in senior leadership. There's just maybe that specific when you get into tech or some of the things that, that this new ecosystem is going through. Yeah, but even there, I mean, I think there are lots of great tech companies that have been around that, um, you know, like we've got GPS companies that are some of the world, leader, world leaders, right? And they've been around for 15 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do those guys know how, or men and women know how to run a business? Yeah, for sure they do. Do they know how to scale a business? For sure they do. Do they know how to deal with other tech businesses and do, you know, co-development, do licensing agreements, su- source supply chain from China? Yeah, they do. So those people need to, you know, I would like to see them come back and, and you know, be able to have a more of a formal, more formal or even informal, but mentorship program where we have start to close that gap. Because as an entrepreneur, even myself, you know, uh, I think I'm a reasonably smart dude, um, make lots of mistakes along the way. I'd love to avoid making mistakes. We've surrounded ourselves with um, some good advisors and uh, entrepreneurs as well. But what I look for in a mentor is somebody who has been a stage or two ahead of me um, or he's even a, a stage or two. Because they're usually, that's the best mentor is somebody who fairly recently went through the grind that you just went to because they can be like, 
they have a, they have a deep appreciation for it. <laughs> so I think that's that's what I would like to see come together. And I think the other thing that I would like to see, you know, come back to the table, which is a bit more federal, because I do think a lot of it's been great the last few years in Calgary. We've seen a lot of people start to play nicer together. You know, the university mm-hmm. is engaging with CED and Startup Calgary and Platform Calgary and uh, a bunch of other retraining uh, groups and even um, Dan from Terra Hub. Like a bunch of these people are starting to work together and play nice together, which is great. Um, that was a challenge we had before. What I'd like to see is um, CED collaborating maybe a bit more um, with Edmonton. Um, okay, I'd like to see what their economic development group. The ecosystem in Edmonton is quite different. That that like, I've heard from a few people that like that you know they said, hey, I don't want to say this, but Edmonton is a little bit ahead of Calgary. Their their ecosystem is different. Their tech community operates differently. That there's a lot of things that it's doing. They would say was better than what Calgary is doing in terms of positioning itself as the future. I've heard that from a few guys. Yeah, so I'd like to see them do a bit more of that. Um, I also you know fingers crossed. I, uh, I would like to see those two groups, those economic, you know, the major economic, um, development groups, um, engaging more frequently with the provincial government. Um, Mm. because I think, well, back, back back to, we're not on an Island, right? We're like, we're, we're all Alberta and then we are all Western Canada. How does that all tie together? And this sense of isolation and put up the walls, it's not conducive to a good future. And we want to attract people to Calgary, but I, I think this is sort of a case of, you know, rising tides float all boats where we, you know, if we make the case that we can have a strong um, innovation sector across all of Alberta, you're going to start to see, you know, more funding from external parties, including Fed government, but even external uh, investors and VCs. Like you can't just, um, I think we're still a little too early and a little too small to just say, Hey, we're going to go it alone. Um, and it would make more sense to have a bit more collaboration because this also opens up, I mean, for our business, the reason why we're dealing with people internationally is it, it opened up our market to be much larger. Like we're in a niche market. So how many people are dealing with, you know, are familiar with crypto assets today in Calgary? Very few, right? So by being global, we've now expanded our market. And I think it's kind of the same thing is like, if you're trying to support more local businesses by expanding even to say, Hey, maybe, people in, uh, in Edmonton and Calgary can buy from each other. Yeah. All, yeah the all of Alberta and kind of that almost you know, be, be big enough to matter more kind of philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would yeah, like sure. to see. I mean, I think, um, but I think I'm positive. I think we're making good ground. I think, uh, you know, being uh, realistic, uh, trying to be realistic. I think Alberta is going to go through a pretty rough patch over the next bit. I think it is, yeah, I think it is going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. I agree with you. Just the the, the culmination of events that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, but I think it's incredible. As a result of it, this, um, I think now more than ever is the time for us to diversify, invest in tech, start to buy more local, supporting each other um, is the way we're going to get through it. You know, sat sadly not everybody's going to be able to get jobs because we're just not at a stage where we can do that yet um and this stuff does take time but i think uh you know i think we have a a real opportunity in front of us to to reimagine what alberta looks like um and this isn't you know throwing away the energy sector but i think this is really starting to create the incentives and the um the environment and and really, I guess, water the seeds that have been sowed over the last decade around 
growing yeah, I like, I like system that. finally and starting to move from from seedlings to um you know to you know large uh, larger businesses that can start to absorb some of these losses that we're going to take in other sectors and have some of the impacts we, we talked about and, and yeah, bring that, that larger business that's got a bit of it more weight to be able to just stand uh, back to your, your saplings analogy. Like uh, if that heavy wind comes up, you want to make sure your roots are deep <laughs> and it, 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 that back tornado where sorry, I'm bringing the whole, there's a tornado blowing through town right now. So how deep are your roots and how much you're going to be able to hold on? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think in this case, like, because we're still new, it's going to require a few people kind of banding together to, to make sure that we weather it. Yeah, no, I do like that. I had, uh, you know, uh, Guillermo Salazar, I had Guillermo on a couple of weeks ago and he kind of took it back to like, he goes, you know, it's that pioneering mindset. And he goes, it's not about striking off and taking, it's about the way that we, those, the pioneers all came together. If, it, if your barn needs to get built today, we're all going to go to your place and build your barn together. We kind of came around this whole barn building analogy and he's like, that's what I see. And you said it yourself how do we bring more people together to help each other with shared knowledge and like, Hey, if you need a little lift up over here, I'll help you. But then you help me. And he, his belief was, you know, that is the only way forward. And he goes, we're getting better at that because we're still not as good at it as I think we need to be, which is kind of what I heard you say a little bit today. As yeah. Well. I mean, to sum it, I mean, the big thing is awareness and then paying it forward. I think we have a lot of the resources coming together. We have a lot of the talent. We have a lot of the people um, thinking the same way now and working together. I think it's just more of that. And then we'll- yes, and, and never have we been more motivated just by sometimes external fact necessity. You know, is the mother of all inventions. So certainly, right now we we kind of have no choice as businesses to evolve in some way just to survive. And then hopefully, you turn that into thrive pretty quick. Yeah, totally. Eric, I appreciated our chat. I think we got we 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 were factual, we were philosophical, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were big picture, we were right down to micro, right to macro. It was great. Yeah. Well, thanks for the time. and you appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. I really, again, I always joke selfishly, if no one else listened, this would still be well worth my time because I get to have amazing conversations with people like yourself. So thanks for your honesty today. And uh, I appreciate getting to know you. It was a great time. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler.